Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mac D Podcast. We have a very exciting episode for you all. Football is finally back. Not any more of this amateur stuff. No more preseason. I'm talking the real professional deal. But first, how was your weekend, Jimmy D? I had a fantastic weekend. I actually just got back from the Lake of the Ozarks, so a little bachelor party. So um, definitely tired from the, the weekend activities, but riding on cloud nine because we get to talk about uh, fantasy football. I, I think I've mentioned it on a prior pod, but the uh, the week one overreaction Monday is about the best day in, in sports media because you just get to take the, or make the hottest possible take, say the dumbest shit possible, and then you can just write it off as, well, I only had one week, so... We get to do that today. It's it's fun to kind of takes you know get get our, our shot at, at some of that analysis. Uh, so I'm feeling feeling pretty good about that. I'm hoping that uh, that alone can can carry me through because uh, the energy level is definitely a little lower than I'd like it to be. Yeah, we're in our Stephen A. Smith era. It's time for the week one hot takes. Did you uh, run into Marty Bird when you were at Lake of the Ozarks? Any of the Ozark characters? I don't think so, but I saw possibly the biggest. I mean, the legit most baller flex I've ever seen in my life. So we went to Party Cove on Saturday, and a guy uh, did not take his boat to the Party Cove. He took his plane to the cove. So someone was there in a an aquatic plane and then uh, actually flew out, like took off from the cove, did a flyby over everybody. And I was like, Jesus, that is the biggest dick energy I've ever seen in my life. And that guy is an absolute legend. So if for some reason that person hears this podcast, just know that D thinks you are the possibly the coolest human I've ever seen in my life. Wow. He's probably wheeling his balls out in a wheelbarrow on the way out of there. So how many women did he take home with him? I think that I was surprised the plane could take off uh, as quickly as it did because I believe it was weighed down with, with all the uh, the strange he was picking up. <laughs> I'd say the over-under had to be at least like, what, six and a half? Does that seem accurate? Yes, it was a, I would put under or the over-under at six and a half women uh, hopped into his plane with him. Maybe 6.9, I like that. Uh, yeah, I got to see Mike Trout on Friday. I went with my roommate Tommy. That was a lot of fun. He had a home run. Shohei Otani was also there. He didn't have like that great of a night, but it's cool seeing two transcendent players and it's really funny with the Angels, the way they're currently constructed. It's those two guys and then nothing else. Like, everybody else on that roster is not a person. Like, that, you could have told me they were random Joe Schmo on the street. I would have told totally they're, they're basically an NBA franchise, right? You just yeah. get your two stars and hope the rest figures itself out. Yeah, they're a triple-A team in disguise. So that was a lot of fun. And other than that, I just kind of lounged around and watched way too much football. Probably a good 24 hours worth of football because I watched – all the way up until the Baylor BYU game, which ended at like 2 a.m. local time, and then I just watched all throughout yesterday. I'm about ready to start Monday Night Football tonight, so I'm stoked. See, I, Baylor BYU was the only game I did watch college-wise this weekend because, like I said, I was just out on the boat all day. Um, but I did get to see a little bit of NFL, not a ton. Watched all the Sunday night game. Watched a bunch of the recaps once I got back to the house. Um, but we were watching the uh, the Steelers Bengals game on the boat because we were, we were trying to get some fishing in, and I was with a a huge Steelers fan, so it was hilarious just watching the the up and down swings going on that I'm sure every Steelers fan was was having to to endure. And to his point, I'm glad they won that game because um, it's not looking great with TJ Watt out for an extended period of time for the Steelers. So thank God they at least got away with the dub there. But uh, the the offense is pretty much as anemic as we thought it would be. Um, doesn't bode well for Najee owners 
So hopefully they, they can kind of work out those kinks. Yeah, that's the full Trubisky experience right there. You got the highest highs and the lowest lows. It's like high school football all over again. But. Mitch played well. Mitch Mitch managed the game. There's just He wasn't making plays to win it, but he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't do anything dumb to lose it. I, I, I think there was just – there's definitely some bad play calls on on the coaching staff. Right? Like they they gave the Bengals way too much time to come back into that game. Um, I, they, they they need to find ways to be a bit more creative getting the ball to to their playmakers. Just because it's not like the offensive line is going to dominate anyone, so you need to find ways to get Najee or Deontay out in space. Yeah, speaking of Deontay, I don't know if you saw that one catch, but like. I don't want to annoy the crowd too early, but he had like catch of the year. The one little one-handed grab that he had right on the sideline as they were yeah, trying to was, go down the that field. Was pretty, that was pretty sick. Yeah. That, that's I say. <laughs> that was pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, that one looked like it was out of the park. And the next thing you know, he just grabs it one-handed. Uh, real quick before we forget, Pulos watch. Our Pulos, 697, just past A-Rod, three away from 700. That, that's quick math, 700 minus 697. That's three more. So I'm really excited for him. We're almost there, baby. I can't believe yeah, it. 20, 21 games to get three more home runs. The Cardinals are, are actually playing him against righties now. Like I mean, he's hot and not just like as a, a DH type hot. Like he is, I mean, really kind of roping the ball right now, which is exciting for everyone. I think the best part too is like he's hitting these home runs in close games. Like he is he's going like true 2005 clutch mode Albert Pools. This isn't just like some – you know, a victory lap after a great career. Some rookies just giving him meatball pitches. Like he is, he's taking a yard and tie games that are actually, you know, very relevant home runs. And I, I think that's possibly what makes the, uh, the pool holes watch even more exciting. And then to your point, passing Alex Rodriguez, I think every baseball fan outside of the New York metropolitan area is just absolutely jacked to the tits about that. <laughs> Dude, I don't even know if Yankees fans like A-Rod anymore. Like it might just be like Rangers fans that aren't salty about him leaving. Just like the people that were there in the very beginning, or maybe even like Mariners fans when he was back being a shortstop. So nobody likes A-Rod. All my homies hate A-Rod. Uh, but yeah, they're playing in meaningful games the rest of the way. Like the Cardinals could definitely catch the the Mets maybe for that next spot. Avoid the the first round plan and instead get that uh, first round buy. Like that would be extremely valuable in this postseason. So I hope Pujols makes it. It would make my childhood heart really happy. But uh, let's move on to football. So week one happened. Uh, some weird games happened. Games that I thought were way over ended up being completely competitive towards the end. I the game that we got locally was the Saints versus the Falcons. It looked that was a hell of a game too. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great game. <laughs> it looked like Arthur Smith had it completely wrapped up. The coach of the Falcons is twenty six to ten with like ten minutes left, and then the Saints. James Winston, something just turned on in his brain. And they completely came back. So one of the weirdest games that I've ever seen, but it's just a classic Falcons game. So uh, I was stoked. We saw some amazing quarterback performances. Uh, is the usual suspects in the top two spots for fantasy this week. We had Patrick Mahomes with 34.9 points. We had Josh Allen in the number two spot. And then Carson Wentz was number three at 27.72. Does any of this stand out to you, Jimmy D? Definitely, it's it's Mahomes in there. You know, the other two are clearly supposed to be in the top three. Uh, but no, in all real, you know, actuality here, Carson Wentz played a heck of a game. You, you talked in our our prop bets pod that uh, the the Trevor Lawrence or Carson Wentz go for three hundred yards, and Carson Wentz did hit that. And I, and I think that's awesome for him. You know, for Carson Wentz, the football player, because Tommy and I were were making fun, like, yeah, that's probably Trevor Lawrence, like. I would take that because you get better odds and just no faith in Carson Wentz. And I mean, he, he looked great out there. He was zipping the ball around. Jahan Dotson looked like a stud out there. I mean, two 
two great catches in the end zone, or, or at least I think it was two touchdowns, maybe just one. But um, he looked—I mean, he looked every part of you know an early kind of pick as a rookie. Um, it's just great to see. You know, he wasn't turning the ball over. He looked like he's making good good decisions. So. I mean, obviously, if he plays like that, you know, it's, it's a bit of a high bar to set. Like, oh, if he throws 300 yards a game the rest of the season, he'll, you know, people will love him in, in Washington. Like, yeah, but if he plays, you know, even at 60% of what he played this past week, and I think the the commanders fleece the Colts, who are, you know, still probably backing up the the salt trucks on, on just ways to just dunk on Carson Wentz. So you love to see it for them, especially because Matt Ryan did not play particularly well this weekend. No, yeah, Wentz definitely redeemed himself in a lot of ways. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the very first game in Commander's history. So greatest franchise of all time, they're 1-0. They've never lost. Yeah, so. they might as well go back to, to football team now and, and and retire as the greatest franchise. All the hogs. So uh, we also saw Jalen Hurts have an amazing game against my Lions. So that was definitely a big honorable mention from us. He completely eviscerated the Lions on the ground early on and then really turned on in the passing later. Uh, him and A.J. Brown were just an absolute dynamic combination on on Sunday. So uh, good for Jalen Hurts. He's exactly who we expected. So pretty chalky at the front I, end of the Yeah, I, th- I think the, the thing that you and I didn't analyze enough in this offseason is just how much Jalen or A.J. Brown is going to help Jalen Hurts because – Jalen's running game was was on point. We expected that to happen. I mean, there's there's just plays he can make, you know, with his feet that other other quarterbacks can't. But when he has some of those iffy throws, AJ Brown's good enough to make them at least look, you know, passable. Because I saw plenty of times where it was like slants that AJ is like borderline one hitted catching at his kneecaps and just like random, you know. Just BS throws that AJ made it look like, oh wow, you know, great play on the team. It's like no AJ Brown's out there. I mean, just mossing people and, and just going off. And that just happens to mean Jalen gets a free 150, you know, uh, passing yards. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that A.J. Brown was saddled with Ryan Tannehill. And then you get with a better passer and he automatically gets better. Who would have thought? So it's really cool seeing A.J. Brown getting catches in all three levels, no longer just getting those short slants that you were talking about. And yeah, he's literally taking people from over the top and he's really finding the holes of defenses right now. So um, yeah, I think well, it's, it. it really points to the fact that it's like, Wide receivers are undoubtedly taking over the NFL. I mean, I mean, the amount of $20 million a year receivers just keeps going up and it's going to continue to keep going up. So it's it's nice to see coaches appreciating the talent and really designing the offense around how do we let these playmakers just open everything up. Because that's, that's not the way Tennessee's offense was, right? Their offense is going to be Derrick Henry gets 25 carries, and then we're going to play action and try to throw it to A.J. over the top, or to your point, kind of a quick slant if we need a, a third and short play. But you look at the Vikings, you look at the Eagles, you look at the Rams, the Bills. I mean, it's hard to say the Rams right now, but at least that, that offensive tree. Um, and they really use game-changing receivers to just open up everything else. Um, and I think Nick Sirianni really did a good job uh, with the Eagles to to help out there. I mean, even your your Lions looked really good. And this, I mean, they could have laid down and died. They they clawed their way back. Amon Ra looked great. They used DeAndre Swift in, in really unique ways. And I, I I think that's just what you have to do to be uh, a relevant franchise in the NFL right now. Is is just find ways to be. Um, unique with your your playmakers and it's, it's great to see 
a lot of these fantasy assets being used that way. Yeah, for sure. And I think that we'll see a lot of good things from the Eagles going forward. I think they have the one of the most talented rosters in the entire NFL. And to your point about wide receivers, I was going over all the rosters with my buddy today, trying to figure out who was wide receiver one, like who is the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. And like, I think you have to give it to Cooper Cup just because of like this absolute insane season that he had last year. But like after Cup, if you're trying to like progress a little bit, there's a lot of challengers. Like we'll get into the wide receivers in a little bit, but like every single team seemingly has like a very good one A and one B. Like even teams that are like kind of sucky, like the Seahawks got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like that's a very formidable real life one and two. So it's really cool. Like if you're a wide receiver, it's your playground. If you're a quarterback, good luck. I don't even know how you're supposed to play defense in today's NFL. Uh, some of the losers at quarterback were a little bit interesting this week. Some really big names and some guys that we expected to be better. So uh, Dak Prescott got injured. Um, so we don't want to fully give him a loser grade, but he got he looked he looked like trash before he got like, he got <laughs> injured in the fourth quarter. I, I'm not going to blame the injury because all that would have done is he might have got a garbage time touchdown. He looked awful. Let's not blame the disabled folks. So 4.46 <laughs> points is what Prescott finished with. And it looks like he's going to be out six to eight weeks. My question for you, Jimmy D, do you think the Cowboys go out and get a Jimmy G or do you do you think they go out and get one of these other backup quarterbacks? Yeah, I think you I think you're jumping the gun on me because I, I put it in, in our waiver warriors, which will come up next. I, I kind of put it like a Jimmy G question mark because I, you know, this is why or this isn't exactly why, but this is kind of where it was looking to go once the Niners brought Jimmy G back. Right? They, they wanted to offload him. If someone got entered in the offseason or, or if a contender maybe stepped up and said, hey, we we need the we need Jimmy G. Well, now we're seeing like, OK, the Cowboys feel as if they're a contender. I, I don't disagree. I think that's a winnable conference, although the Eagles looked pretty damn good. Um, so it's, you know, do you trust Cooper Rush to win three of your next six games to your point? Or do you say, screw it, let's teach Jimmy G our first 10 plays and we'll build out from there. And like, we got to go get him. So we're not starting our season one and five and just scrapping it because they they just have too much money and, and, and kind of aging players you know like zeke's getting older tony pollard how many seasons are they gonna run him not run him into the ground but waste of his youth right i mean at some point running backs just fall off and you know he's explosive guys so like how long are they gonna waste him it's you know they, they've got some older offensive linemen but generally speaking a decent a decent offensive line so it's like do you, do you trust Cooper Rush or do you just say, like, let's go get Jimmy G? And I, I would argue if for the right price, I would go get Jimmy G because he's proven he can win. Yeah, it seems like definitely the 49ers have the Cowboys over a barrel in a lot of ways. Like Jimmy G seems to be the only really quality available quarterback. And it really reminds me of that Teddy Bridgewater situation a few years ago when uh, Teddy Bridgewater went down and then Sam Bradford ended up going for a first round pick. It's like mm-hmm. it's like it's just basic market demands you know it's supply and demand you got this one quarterback you have this really needy team and they're gonna have to pay up a lot to get them but like that's the current reality and if they want to go full rams and start giving up some picks or be competitive this year like this is their window so it's kind of dependent uh, dependent on that so um, prescott struggled a lot uh trey lance struggled in a really rainy game uh, against the bears granted it was his first like major start last year was kind of a wash and it was a really gross game. Maybe I'm just doing a lot of coping right now, but I feel like I know. We, no, <laughs> I, I'm with you here because you and I both love Trey Lance. We're we're pretty darn high on Trey Lance, and and you know this is kind of a Lance podcast, if you will. But I I don't think you can take any result from what happened yesterday and say, yep, that that needs to speak to what I need to believe because 
that field in the fourth quarter, I, I might've actually been a swimming pool. Like, it, I mean, it was just insane. You know, seeing some of those highlights, um, you know, guy, receivers aren't wearing gloves cause it was so wet trade. He, he missed a couple throws where you're like, okay, it, it, to me, it was him missing throws because of conditions, not because of him, the player, because he was, it was like 50, 50. There was throws he was making that you're like, yep, that makes like, he looked really, you know, he really looked the part there. Then there was like the same exact throws, just like, Oh, that ball clearly slipped out of his hand. Like that was nowhere near his intended target. Like they're throwing screen passes that are, are bouncing to Debo, things like that, where it's just like, you're trying to get it out quick and the conditions just aren't helping you. So I would, I would chalk it up to that. Now, if by week four, he hasn't had a, t- a 20 point fantasy performance, then you have to start panicking. Cause uh, you know, for most teams, he's probably your only quarterback on your roster. Uh, and, and that's when I would start being worried. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing is, is like, we still have that rushing floor that we've been talking about all off season. And he, he looked the part, yeah. he looked the part rushing. He was scrambling and making plays. He had the second most rushes of any quarterback right behind Jalen Hurts. He finished Jalen Hurts had 17, Trey Lance had 13, 13 for 54. So he was efficient on the ground as well. Even when, as you mentioned, more shoreline at that game than at the Lake of the Ozarks for the Chicago Bears this past weekend. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of optimism still to be had. Eli Mitchell went down early. That really messed up the flow of their offense. I think that this offense is going to figure things out as we go forward. Um, some other guys that struggled. And, and sorry, one yeah. one more point. No Kittle. They, they didn't want to um, risk his groin on that sloppy field condition. So, I mean, you're missing one of your top three targets and, and a very good target at that. So, I would I will, I'll give him the pass. And maybe that's like to your point. We're coping because we both had a lot of Trey Lance, and he only got us ten points this week. But uh, I I think it'll it'll look a lot better come next week. Definitely. So other guys that struggle, Matt Stafford finished with 7.8 points on the opening game of the NFL season. Did look good against the Buffalo Bills, looked a little bit injured. Uh, some people were saying he's been a little racist, only thrown to his wide receivers. Such <laughs> are, a, are you those people? I did not make that claim, <laughs> to be fair. I thought it, but then I was like, that's ridiculous. So I like to think Matthew Stafford's a better guy than that. Maybe not his wife, but I think he's okay. Uh, he's definitely struggled on Thursday night and has a lot, of, a lot of progression to do. It's a lot of new receivers, a lot of new faces. So hopefully, he- yeah, I have a, I have a couple points from that game because I mean, obviously, you and I text quite a bit. But uh, for for our listeners, could could you maybe talk to? Are are you finally going to admit the Bills actually are who we thought they were, or are you still gonna stand the uh, the under eleven win or under eleven and a half win total Bills? Because to me, that looked like a thirteen win team. I know it's week one, but it's like any any like concern I had, which was mostly on the defensive side, got thwarted pretty quickly because those guys were all over the field. All of their you know defensive back playmakers were were playing pretty damn well. Um, I mean, they, they turned the ball over four times and won by three touchdowns. Like I I don't know what bigger statement you can make. And again, this physically hurts because I do not like the Bills. I I'm, I'm a Pats fan through and through, but the team looked like who we thought they were. Or at least who I thought they were, not who you yeah. thought they were. It really pisses me off how well the Bills have drafted on the defensive end of the ball. I honestly forgot about some of the guys that they got, like legitimate stars coming out of college, like Greg Rousseau. We have AJ Epinesa out of Iowa. We have Ed Oliver out of Houston, who 
inexplicably fell in the draft. And then they went out and got Von Miller. And it showed all night that they just have these really quality guys that you can just keep throwing and throwing and throwing at an offensive line that really struggled in pass protection. It was really interesting. They came out after the game that the Bills did not rush, did not do an actual blitz the entire game. And they were just getting pressure with four guys just running straight up the offensive linemen of the Rams. So that's definitely a concern. I definitely blame a lot of this game on the Rams just being unprepared for week one, a Super Bowl hangover. And I, am I happy that Gabe Davis anytime touchdown hit? Yes. That was a really great bet call on my part. However, I just don't think a lot of what the Bills does is sustainable. Uh, they had fumble issues. They had turnover issues of their own. I think a lot of that will come back to bite them in the future. It's one game. I'm still out on the Bills. It, let's give it a few more weeks. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, to your point, I, 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 but, oh my goodness, wow, that was a tongue twister. I also believe that the uh, first re- first pass completion prop hit. So my, my little joke prop there, because uh, Stafford completed his first one, as did Josh Allen. Oh, boy. Um, so, we did. Wow, we, we, knew, we knew that game. We knew it. The only thing that didn't hit was the under or the over because the Rams failed to score. Yeah, basically 31 to 10. I, <laughs> I also want to point out that it looked to me on defense, the Rams really could have used – an edge rusher, you know, a guy like Von Miller. So it seemed like maybe that, you know, in the offseason, they could have tried to sign someone like a Von Miller who who maybe could have really helped out that defense. And uh, yeah. you know, kudos on the Bills. I, I don't know what the Rams were thinking. It, they, they had a, a Von Miller type last year. I can't remember who it was, but, yeah, I think, you know, maybe they could have used a Von Miller this year. I think it was someone that they traded a second-round pick for. Um, he came from a city that was kind of high up. Maybe like a mile high. I, I can't think of it. So maybe listeners, mm-hmm. if you can figure out who that was, can you please let us know? Because we're really blanking on this podcast. Uh, the last guy that really, Absolutely. the last guy that really struggled this past week was Mr. Aaron Rodgers, aka Throw Rogan, aka all these other names because of Mr. Immunized. We can go on and on. Uh, he really, really struggled against the Minnesota Vikings this past week. Do you chalk that up to the Vikings being good or the Packers just being really bad? Yeah, the, the Vikings are better than anticipated, I would say, especially on the defensive end. We, we knew their offense was going to be pretty potent. I don't think we knew their defense was going to be able to do that. I'm going to chalk it up, though, to just kind of first week woes. The the Packers are definitely a slow start. They get hot and, and go off kind of team. It's I mean, that, that's Aaron Rodgers' career in a nutshell, right? It's like weird, like kind of bad games. And then Supernova Aaron Rodgers just torching the league. So they, they're going to hit their stride. They'll be fine. Uh, I mean, their, their first possession, their, their rookie Christian Watson dropped a, a surefire 75-yard touchdown. Not a great look. Not a great way to uh, get on Aaron Rodgers' good side. So that alone is just like what a horrible start to trying to build a rapport with, with all these new receivers. Um, I, I think the tough part as fantasy owners is like, we got no glimpse into who's actually the guy in in Green Bay. So Lazard was out. We didn't get to see if, if he would get a ton of touches. Um, you know, Bobby Bobby Tunyon was in, so it was like he kind of got some targets. But then it's like after that, like Sammy Watkins was like three or four targets. MVS was like three or four targets. Christian Washington was like three or four targets. Like Aaron, quit spreading the ball so well and let us know who's going to be that number one so we can, you know, make some fantasy decisions. Yeah, Lafleur's like in the tease us a lot. Yeah, I didn't love their offense this past week. Aaron Rodgers did not look happy after Christian Watson dropped that pass. Like he looked like my dad after I got my first B in kindergarten, just like uber Mm -hmm. disappointed. Uh, A lot of people were comparing him to Marquez Valdez Scantling 2.0. I'm like, that's not 
very nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do not, I did not like the Packers offense this past week. It seemed like they needed to get Aaron Jones more involved. He only had like 10 or so touches. That didn't seem like enough to me whenever he's like one of your star players. And uh, yeah, we ended up getting a little bit of Jordan Love at the very end, which like you just never want to see for the Green Bay Packers. So yeah. definitely I'll, I'll make a point. I think I, I think I actually said MVS was still on the, the Packers, which he is not. So that's a, very good. that's a, a Chiefs play. That, that's my bad. I was, Throwing out random names there. That just reminds me of the Packers. So, again, they're they're figuring out who they're throwing the ball to. You're good. You went to a bachelor party this past weekend. You went wild. So, we know how much you like wild. to drink, Jimmy D. So, mm-hmm. uh, our last guy that struggled was your boy, your son, your large adult son, Mac Jones. What happened? Yeah, it, it was not a great game, um, for, you know, just as Patriots fans. So, it seemed – it was it was interesting. We, we moved the ball really well. In the first half, we just couldn't finish drives, which was a, an issue we had last year. We just don't seem to have that great red zone threat. Uh, I, I wonder how the game looks if that that defensive pass interference on Xavier Howard actually gets hauled instead of just completely ignored for the the interception because that was that was bad enough that even Dolphins fans were like, "Oh, well, it feels good to get get a free one here." Uh, so I wonder there. Um, I I don't know. We're we were doing some weird things on offense where like Kendrick Bourne just wasn't playing, even though he's our most explosive player. Um but regardless, it just there's basically all the worries that sports media was hyping a little bit too high of just the discontinuity and, and kind of building a new offense were very present. And I, I could see this being a very rough first month of uh, offensive football for the Patriots because the the defense looked way better than we expected. I, I know the Dolphins um, put up some yardage, but we we really did stop them when we needed to. But we gave up seven points on a strip sack, and then just a terrible, terrible um, fourth and seven conversion into a touchdown. Like I mean, two massive plays, right? You take those out, and it's a like a six seven game. Obviously, that's not how everything would have panned out, but that puts you in the, in the ball game. It, it makes a, a little more sense. And, and I think it shows that the defense actually played pretty well. Yeah. I was fully expecting like those weird off season narratives that were coming around, just like completely dissipate. Cause like, that's the Billy B thing, right? Like you have concerns during the off season, the season starts, you play well, all that goes away. All the talking goes away, but they totally just fell flat in this week one. It was very uncharacteristic of the New England Patriots. We were talking pre-show about, the Mac Jones injury. It looks like he has some rib issues or something like that. He got hit pretty hard. Who do you want to start if Mac Jones isn't ready to go for week two, which is what it's sounding yeah. like right now? So a quick Google search made it seem like so because he, he had to get x-rays. It was on his back, which I, is terrifying. I do not want him to become Tony Romo where you're just like worried about back injuries. Um, but it, it, the the x-rays were negative. It, it's looking like it's better than initially thought. Like it, it's not as serious of an injury. Just like to your point, he just kind of got rocked a couple times. So that that's good news. We, we want, you know, Mac to, to be at 100%. So the, the people behind him would be Bailey Zapp, rookie out of what? Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky? Western, Western Kentucky. Go, I'm getting a nod. Okay. Go Hilltop. Uh, and Brian Hoyer, the destroyer. So Brian Hoyer, obviously a journeyman quarter you know backup quarterback but uh a very well-known asset he is not a guy that will win you a game but he's also not even a guy that will keep you in a game like he just makes boneheaded moves which you wouldn't expect out of a journeyman i'm thinking back to the cam newton season where cam was out against the chiefs and hoyer was in and and we held the chiefs to like i mean we, we held them the whole game like we were truly playing very great defensive football and hoyer was like 
forgetting to call timeouts before the the end of the half or just like just making horrible decisions there. You're just like, how is this a, you know, a 10 year quarterback? So to me, it's just like, screw it. Let's just see what happens. Put Bailey Zapp in and let the dude sling the ball all around. He looked, he looked the part in preseason. Obviously there's going to be rookie pains, but it's like, this isn't, you know, a Super Bowl contending team. It's like, let's, let's, why not just see who we got in the field? And, you know, if Bailey Zapp pops off, either you find a, a great replacement while Mac is out or you find a good piece to, to potentially trade and, and kind of get some, some capital to, to build into. Yeah. hundred percent. It would really suck if Mac went down. Cause like this definitely seems like a sophomore year where he should be able to prove himself. Definitely like reach that like level number 85 ranking that he got in the player rankings. So it really sucks to see him go down as much as I do not like the Patriots. I, I did want to see a good season from him. They do have good weapons around that are like pretty fun. Just like a bunch of bit players, classic, Billy B offense, so it's a little upsetting, but if Zap gets to play, that, that's pretty entertaining to me, so I won't be too upset, I suppose. Uh, let's move to the running backs. A lot of usual suspects at the top of the running back rankings as well. Honestly, all across the board, the very top was like very, very normal, very, very similar to what we expect. Uh, Saquon had 33.4 points, Jonathan Taylor had 27.5, and DeAndre Swift had 26.5 points. So any of these winners... Uh, shock you any of these surprising no none of this is surprising i would say the one that has to be the most elating for fantasy owners has to be saquon popping off because he's had he had a couple rough years under uh, joe judge so to to kind of be unleashed to to look healthy to look explosive i think is just incredibly exciting for saquon owners i have a few teams that I me mean, for, for like for no real reason saquon was falling down pretty hard Right, I had Saquon and D Swift, so I was like, I mean, it was a great weekend for for my yep. running backs, especially when we talk about AJ Dillon later. Um, so yeah, no, no surprises here. Um, obviously, JT, you drafted him first, and he got like thirty carries and hundred yards. Like they're clearly going to feed him the rock. So um, yeah, your your early round running backs, for the most part, I think you're feeling pretty good about. Um, yeah, some of those like the guys that we knew were in that running back dead zone, you you don't feel great about, but the uh, the early guys you're feeling pretty good. Yeah, Saquon looked like legitimately good. It wasn't just like on paper good. If you watch some of his tape, he looked shifty. He was doing some side steps. He was really trusting his blockers. And I hate saying that because like that was the Le'Veon Bell trope for like, years and years and years. But he truly was a patient running back, and he just just looked way more confident. Like I feel like the last like year or so, we see a tentative. Saquon Barkley, where he's really worried about getting injured every other play, but he just looked explosive, like going off the edge. He was getting like 20, 30 yard runs. It was really exciting to see like vintage Saquon Barkley. Let's just hope he can continue it through the rest of the season. And then whenever he got that two point conversion at the end of the game to win the game for them, one really ballsy, good for the giants. But two, I had like literal chills. Like I had goosebumps going on. I was like, this is this is Saquon. Yeah, no. So I don't want us to gloss over that. I love the Giants saying, "Look, we know we're not a great team this year, but we're going to show that we, you know, we're trying to win games." And you love to see that because, to your point, that's going to build that locker room up. Those guys are going to really rally around Dable, uh, sorry, and um, just be like, "Hey, this guy wants to win. He believes in us." You know, maybe outside voices, mine included, don't believe in him, but that locker room definitely believes. So great to see it. I'd say it's a quality win. You and I are low on the Titans, but. They were the one seed last year. It's not like this is some just garbage team. Like they, they really stuck it to them. And I mean, just, you know, it's great for Giants fans, really. I, I, the Giants team and Giants fans in general. Yeah, not to mention the Titans gave up the fewest fancy points to running backs last year. So 
Saquon just destroying them this year. Super impressive. Another guy we liked this week was AJ Dillon. Wanted to give him a shout out. What what, what happened this past weekend? <laughs> no, I so I've been. I mean, just really harping, get A.J. Dillon. You and I have talked about it. If you're drafting ESPN, the guy is going way, way too late. He's a, you know, a sixth, fifth or sixth round pick, not a 100th average, you know, ADP type pick. Um, my friends are tired of hearing me talk about A.J. Dillon, but I don't care. So he truly, with Aaron Jones, had that 1A, 1B, 50% snapshot, which obviously you want a little bit higher, but when you're getting him in the fifth round, you're expecting kind of a 50-50 split. However... He had, I believe, 10 carries to Aaron Jones's five, and he had six targets. So you, you, people are like, oh, Aaron Jones is the target running back. A.J. Dillon's just going to get the, the workload. Like, A.J. Dillon, to me, was the 1A of the 1B watching that game. I kind of seen the recap. Like, it was like the big plays, you know, the goal line carries. They were trying to hammer it in with A.J. Dillon. Um, just relevant targets they're giving to A.J. Dillon. Like, if you, if you got him, especially if you got him in an ESPN league in like the ninth, 10th round, you have to be ecstatic because that is clearly a low end RB one workload that you got as kind of a, you know, a, a sleeper pick, but it was like kind of a, almost a surefire pick where you're getting him. And, and it's yeah very, very vindicating. I mean, he, he could have done a little bit better with his opportunities. He only got stuff fourth and one. So that's good. To, like It's good to know that they're giving him those touches. He only got 50 yards, which when you're behind as much as they are, makes sense. Like you're obviously not going to be running the ball that much when you need to catch up. So uh, great, great performance for AJ Dillon. 20 points out of a probably who you're playing as a flex and, and someone that ESPN just constantly um, just under appreciates. You know, his, his fantasy projection was like 10 points uh, as a guy that was like to our point, you know, such a, a you know, quality low end RB1 or high end RB2 type candidate. Um, I, I think you're going to see eventually the projections are going to start catching up and he's going to be about a 15 point plus uh, weekly performer. Yeah. Speak your truth, Jimmy D you, you were talking about AJ Dillon all off season. Uh, AJ Dillon, they were talking on the broadcast as well. Like he did not get receptions. He did not get that receiving work whenever he is in Boston college and uh, back in university. But now that he's in the NFL, he's been working on it a lot. He's definitely working on his receiving game and it seems like a huge asset for him. And, and, to- and Aaron trusts him, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, you don't get six targets if Aaron doesn't trust you. It's so, like that is just so exciting to see. Exactly. Without a wide receiver one emerging yet, like that is so key. If honestly, like this might be my number one trade target. We haven't done like trade targets because it's so early and everything. But like if there's a guy in your league or a girl in your league that drafted AJ Dillon in like the 10th round or the ninth round and like you just didn't quite get to you, like definitely go out and try and get AJ Dillon. If they don't know what they have, like definitely go and try and snipe him because a lot of people are just going to keep looking at that draft price tag. And you know, that value is going to be higher. The snap counts. Great. The volume is great. Go get AJ Dillon. If you can, it really probably won't cost yeah, you know, much. We can, we can do a quick, uh, a quick, like what would you like? So who, who would you try to trade for AJ Dillon? So what's, what's a name? Like, would you be willing to give up a Zeke for AJ Dillon right now? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Which is wild to say after one week. I was going to say no, but honestly, thinking about it, yeah, 100%. Zeke had a bad week. He's in an offense where he's having split carries. No more Dak. Whenever Dak is hurt, they, they don't seem to feed Zeke like they usually do. Uh, and like it looks like it's just going to be a struggle bus all season long in Dallas. I, I would totally do that. What about like a wide receiver? What's a wide receiver that you give up for AJ Dillon? I feel like what receivers are definitely easier to get a hold of. That's not a hot take. I mean, everyone has that kind of same opinion. You're definitely thinking like, who's a wide receiver two? maybe like a lower end wide receiver too. So maybe like 
maybe a Terry McLaurin because after this week it, it didn't look like the Commanders. I, not that they didn't love Terry, but he's the clear one in that offense and is getting the coverage as such. Then it's like Dotson and uh, Curtis Samuel are getting way more targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know maybe that's someone you could kind of talk yourself into trading. Um, yeah, I like that. They don't like. I don't know. Maybe maybe a Darnell Mooney just because I don't believe in that Bears passing attack. It's hard because Darnell had a pretty bad week, but someone might be like, oh, I, I know that name more than A.J. Dillon, which, which seems kind of hard to say because obviously if you know both those names, you're probably an NFC North fan. So it's like you're kind of aware of what, what it's all going on. Yeah. Um, depending on how this game goes, if, if DK looks bad, may, maybe DK Metcalf, but I still kind of believe in the talent there. So I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's I think that the main takeaway needs to be you know, not necessarily after week one, but after week two, if you have a big name that's clearly not going to have the season you initially thought, you can't think, well, I drafted him in the fourth round. You need to take advantage of someone that goes, oh, I'm getting a fourth round pick for my 10th round pick. Absolutely, I'll take that. And try to take advantage of that. Don't, you know, don't stress it because now it's just what can you do for me going forward, not what did I have to pay to get you? Absolutely. Let's go into some running backs that we didn't love this week. Uh, not to be negative, but Travis Etienne, 8.5 points. He definitely had a couple crucial drops this past week, even with his old college quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. He dropped a wheel route. He dropped a little slant route that would have been a touchdown. And he only had four carries to James Robinson's like 10 or so. So it definitely looks like Etienne is not going to have the lion's share of the volume in uh, Jacksonville yet. So definitely a disappointing performance. Uh, Damian Pierce, the offseason darling who everybody was hyping up, uh, finished with 4.3 points. Uh, he definitely looked good. He looked the part whenever he got the carries, but Rex Burkhead got the lion's share of the snaps, the targets, everything that's indicative of fantasy growth. So uh, my boy Rex Burkhead, he keeps churning. And the, the biggest loser of the week, absolutely easily, was Cam Akers. Finished with a giant goose egg on Thursday night football. Absolutely brutal. Three carries for zero yards. Uh, No one saw that fully coming. Like, we definitely knew there was going to be a little bit of rust to shake off. But Cam Akers just completely shit the bed for fantasy owners this past week. So, a tough week for these guys. Yeah, I'd say of that list, ETN's the one I'm worried the least about. It. It's concerning how many carries Robinson got right off the bat just because you thought, okay, well, he's going to be injured. They're going to work him in slowly. But clearly... Robinson was getting those those you know pretty high value tar- or, uh, touches, but to your point, you know it's ETN at some drops. That's fixable. That's that's not who he is. He proved in college he he can catch the ball. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence trusts him. It was his first game, right? We forget that he is more or less playing his rookie season right now. So there's there's going to be some nerves there. He's probably amped up just to be back into the the mix after you know having to sit out a year. So I'm not too worried about him. For Pierce, I'm concerned with that stat line because they were up the whole game. So if if you're an RB one and a on a you know offense that's up by 17 points, why are you not getting 20 carries or, or more? You know why why is Rex Burkhead usurping you? I mean, obviously you can't say usurp since he's the rookie, but it's like what was going on there? And then man, if you spend a second or third round pick on Cam Akers, you have to be absolutely shitting your pants right now because from the from the first snap, Darrell Henderson is in the, is in play, right? Like, I don't know what was all said this offseason, but it sounded like basically everyone but L.A. was saying it's going to be Cam Akers. And then good old uh, Sean McVay off the top rope just just took it to you and was like, no, I love me some, some D. Henderson. And, I mean, he was – I don't think Akers touched the field the first quarter, 
right? That is not what you want to see out of someone you, you took with the third round. And, and again, to your point, we don't talk much about buy, buy low, sell high, et cetera. But if you can get a piece that you feel more comfortable with going forward, I might try to offload acres at, after that performance. Yeah, 100%. If you can swap acres for AJ Dillon, I would do that in a heartbeat. How about you? Obviously, for, for the quad father himself, I would. Yeah. Um, I, I, there, there'd have to be some interest. Or we'd have to see some potential trades of, of like who we're going for. And then also Geno Smith just threw a touchdown. So oh, nice. It's, uh, I believe, a Noah. Nope. Who the heck is this? Sorry, Disley. Will Disley. Will Disley. The, the, uh, yeah, clearly the guy we all knew was going to be the guy in uh, Seattle. So yeah, Seahawks got get a, get a score right off the bat. Good to see for them. Uh, let's see if Russ cooks the rest of the game. Yeah, honestly. Uh, okay, so another guy that you wanted to fade in this segment was Najee Harris. This feels like a personal attack. I, I'm not going to say fade. Uh, I do have some Najee exposure thanks to you hyping him so hard. Uh, there, there's definitely my friends were dogging me because I'm so high on Justin Jefferson. But in my friend league, I did take Najee because I had Justin Jefferson in like every other league. That's like, oh, I want to mix it up a little bit. And then, of course, Jefferson goes for 40. Najee goes for 10. And that 10 is because he had a... Thankfully for hit for Najee owners, a touchdown reception from like the one or two yard line. Um, that Steelers offensive line looks as bad as we feared they could be. Uh, Mitch was in duress the whole game. They couldn't really get any push up front. Um, I, I do think the Bengals are, are an improved defensive line for sure. A, a kind of an improved, like that's where they, they put a lot of effort into offensive and defensive line. So I'm not super concerned. But man, if he strings together some, you know, some of these performances and doesn't get that touchdown, you've got to be panicking if you're like me and spent the third overall pick to get Najee. Yeah, okay. I have Najee everywhere. I'm not panicking. I am saying R-E-L-A-X. That spells relax. Najee Harris got injured pretty early in this game. Jalen Warren barely got any run. Najee Harris, the 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 X-rays have been negative so far, so his foot's gonna be okay. I'm not worried about it. The offensive line did look absolutely awful, but it can only go up from here. And Najee Harris got incredibly valuable rushes in this game. I'm talking about like multiple goal line rushes. He couldn't quite punch it in. That sucks. It's not going to happen all the time. He did get one touchdown, so he like salvaged his uh, fantasy day. He had 10 points on the day. I I think we just need to chill. We need to give it another week, mm-hmm. and it's going to be A-OK. So. I, I will say to, to your point, um, that you've you've made plenty of times on Najee. He's definitely the offense. Like they at any critical moment, they're trying to get it to Najee with Deontay as kind of maybe a close second, not not necessarily a distant second. But if if they're in the red zone, they want Najee to touch that ball probably five times and then maybe pass it one more time or something like that. So I agree to that point. It's just man, you got to hope that offensive line can figure out some way to to get him a hole to cut through. Like it it, just, it was tough. You're really killing my vibe right now, Jimmy D. Let's move on to other guys that are the entire offense for their teams. Uh, we have the wide receiver winners of the week. Justin Jefferson with 39.4. Cooper Cup with 31.8. Devontae Adams with 30.1. And our honorable mention, Michael Pittman Jr. with 27.1. So we all know these guys are dogs. We know they are absolutely amazing wide receivers, true wide receiver ones. Does Do these guys having this good of a week validate the zero RB strategy in your mind? Was going wide receiver first round the move this year? Yeah, so I got absolutely uh, lambasted, if you will, when I did our did my zero RB draft when it was you, me, and Konski. And all the receivers I was grabbing were hit. And so I was like, yeah, exactly. So this does validate, especially in leagues where you have multiple flexes, the 
the you know grabbing stud wide receivers because they're just it's a wide receiver league at this point. I think you're going to see going forward more and more. We're going to start seeing wide receivers creeping up into that top ten versus it exclusively being you know every first round pick has to be a running back, which is kind of the old running or the old fantasy football mentality. Um, I, I think that the biggest you know, takeaway here of the people you listed as the honorable mention of Michael Pittman Jr. has to feel great for people because he's someone that you are potentially reaching for instead of taking, instead of taking the ADP at its, uh, you know, at its ward and grabbing a Cam Akers or I'm trying to think of like another running back in that list, maybe like a Javante Williams, who we'll see how he does here shortly, but you went maybe a little early and grabbed Pittman Jr. I know I was getting a, a decent amount of Pittman Jr. when I could, and the the amount of trust Matt Ryan has him already, the amount of targets he was getting, the fact that it was no one else was getting like he was getting the value targets. He he was the guy Matt Ryan was going to. That feels great because you got you know a for sure wide receiver one potential top ten maybe even higher wide receiver uh, for the whole year in the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, he's indeed a high value male in my opinion. The, the other guys are who we thought they were. That you're you feel good about your first or second round pick being being spent on on them. Fully agree. Yeah, the guys who were supposed to produce this week fully produced. Um some of the mid-round guys so wide receiver did not pan out. The guys who you would have got if you went running back early. So, some of the guys that really struggled this week, A-Rob had 2.2 for on Thursday night. Uh, Darnell Mooney, granted, in a very sloppy game in Chicago, had 1.8 points. Devontae Smith, probably the biggest surprise to me, had zero catches for zero yards for the Philadelphia Eagles. I had to do like a triple take to make sure that wasn't like a typo whenever I saw it. And some other guys that honorable mention struggled, C.D. Lamb had like all of like four points in a really bad Dallas Cowboys game. And then one of the weirdest ones to me was Kadarius Toney for the New York Giants. Not to belabor this point, but... He had zero catches, zero uh, targets. He played seven snaps the entire game. He had one rush for like 19 yards, and it was one of the most explosive plays all day, and that's including all the Saquon Barkley plays that we talked about earlier. And for whatever reason, the Giants didn't want to play him. He was like separated from all the wide receivers. It definitely looks like a bit of like a character thing or some sort of like rift with the current head coach. I don't know what's happening there. Like, Kadarius Tony is clearly a very good player. He's just not getting the volume. Um, we're going to be doing a waiver section later. I don't think you cut Tony this week, but like he's definitely someone you consider going forward. Not, not this week, but he, you got to keep your eye on it for sure. Because you know, you and I were talking before the episode of who do we cut, and I, I kind of forgot about Tony because so did the Giants. <laughs> um, so yeah, he he might be kind of who you 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 know start penciling in as like who are we we're getting off our roster because I, I know I talked pretty highly about Tony. I was a fan of, to your point, that explosiveness that he has. But obviously, if if there's a riff in the organization, not in the organization, but if, if the coaches don't want him on the field, doesn't matter how talented you are, you're not going to get points. So definitely keep an eye on that. Yeah. Tight ends this week, normal. Extremely it, normal. It's, it's what we expected minus Pitts shit in the bed. Exactly. So Travis Kelsey, 26.1 points. Smooth sailing, fully what we expected. Next two, OJ Howard and Taysom Hill, just as we all called it. I, that's I remember, you know, saying, "Hey guys, I know OJ Howard got cut, but you need to grab him the, once the the Texans, you know, grabbed him." And I, I think we we definitely said that a lot. But in all seriousness, I think OJ Howard's definitely a potential waiver wire guy. Not a ton of targets, but the red zone targets were going to OJ Howard. You know, two receptions, two touchdowns. That's a hard performance to you know kind of keep replicating. But if you're in that tight end hell because you weren't able to get one of the top two or three guys, he's worth kind of just 
grabbing right now before you know he gets any more any more touchdowns going and you know he could be kind of like a Robert Tunyon possibly for this offense where not a ton of receptions but the receptions he gets are are kind of almost seemingly always touchdowns yeah the comparison that I gave to Taysom Hill and OJ Howard it reminded me of those like Jared Cook games where he would go for like eight receptions 100 yards and two touchdowns in week one and then just like disappear the rest of the year I definitely think both guys are worthy of picking up, especially if Taysom Hill is going to continue to get this rushing floor, which is super strange. They're doing the Wildcat stuff with them again. And it kind of feels like a bit of a cheat code to be able to have that guy penciled into your tight end spot. I'd say pick him up. Don't start him next week, in my opinion, unless you're like really in a pinch like we talked about. But yeah, mm-hmm. weird week at the top of the tight end list. I would say the, the big takeaway for me, and, and maybe you feel incredibly vindicated, but Mark Andrews had like a 10 and a half point performance. Um, the... The Ravens offense was was different this week in the sense that it was like it was deep bombs that they like their touchdowns weren't, you know, meticulously moving the ball down the field. It was like they were kind of running and then all of a sudden 50 yard touchdown. Like it, it was like it was the receivers, not the the tight ends getting all the, the targets. Um, do you feel like kind of like a, do you want to do a victory lap? I told you so. Are you going to wait, you know, for a couple of weeks before you, you kind of show why you're, you were completely out on Mark Andrews? Dude, I. Lamar just spreads the ball around a lot, and he's been that way ever since he's gotten into the league. There's a reason that, like, Hollywood Brown was, like, their leading receiver for a couple of years with only, like, 700 yards and then, like, 1,000 yards. Lamar really likes a bunch of different guys. Devin Duvernay had two touchdowns this past week. I want to bring him up briefly just because that's really impressive, but I just don't think it's going to happen again. Like, just over the years, they've had guys like Miles Boykin just randomly get catches. Isaiah likely had three drops, but he had a good amount of targets this past week. So I just don't love any of those receivers too much. Like outside of Bateman, I think Bateman was the best value at ADP, and he kind of proved it with this 55-yard touchdown catch. It's just Lamar just likes to sling it around. He likes to run the ball around. So, um I, I don't love Andrews. I don't think you need to hit the panic button or anything like that. It's just like I didn't love him at the ADP. And I think we're just going to see a lot of games like this where we're going to have OJ Howard and Taysom Hill just randomly outscore him. So Okay. So the second one, do you feel vindicated on Knox? One and a half points. Clearly just an afterthought in that offense. Dude, that one hurt. I, I can't believe how bad he performed. Um, I feel slightly vindicated because I had him a little lower than his typical ADP was. Um but yeah, that one was just, that was a head scratcher. I originally had George Kittle in our losers as well, just because like why are you injured week one? Like you had an entire off season to rest up. Like it, it felt like a very strange injury to me. It was like a hundred percent what people who were drafting George Kittle was trying to avoid was just these random weird injuries that keep him out. But then you brought up Cole Komet also had zero points this past week. So I was like, yes, Cole Komet should definitely be in this loser's list, even with the sloppy game. And then uh, the biggest head scratcher of it all was Kyle Pitts with 3.9 points. The dude pops on TV. Like, if you're watching a Kyle Pitts game, he's the only person in the Atlanta Falcons receiving core that really, really stands out because he runs like a wide receiver, but he is as big as a tight end and he can go up for some balls. Like he has some verticality to him. Uh, it's just that Mariota doesn't really target him. Mariota had a lot of rushes this week. I mean, he had like 12, if I remember correctly. And he kind of had a pretty average game and they, they were definitely running the ball a lot. I have a take about Patterson later. But yeah, Kyle Pitts really just disappeared. And it was very, very strange. I have a lot of faith going forward, but it's strange. The game script wasn't great for Pitts. I think the the troubling part is like at the end of the game, when they did have to come back, it's like, why is he not your first look? In general, in this offense, like, why is he not your first look? He's clearly, the, I mean, just a freak athlete, kind of your most explosive player. He should be, he should be getting 10 targets a game. 
Um, that was probably the concerns with them last year, but we kind of felt, you know, that was different. They, you know, they still had Matt Ryan. He was a rookie, et cetera. Like they started to kind of utilize him. Like, okay, they re- they started to learn at the end of the last year that he was a great player and they started to get him the ball more. So it was weird to see kind of like the complete regression back to his week one last year of like, oh, let's not use him at all. Yeah, I'm not. So that part's a little concerning, but well, again, I'm not panicking on Pitts yet just because the, the tape speaks for itself. Like, man, when he gets that ball, it's, it's something pretty. Like, someone just needs to show Mariota that tape of when he has the ball in his hands, how good yeah. Pitts is. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And, like, I'm I, it's week one. Who cares? Like, I didn't need him to win me any matchups this week. But if next week the same thing happens, like, I want Desmond Ritter starting. Take out Mariota. Let's get the rookie in there. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to go over the guys that we think you should be picking up the guys that you think you should be cutting, uh, doing a little bit of college football corner, and then we have some hot takes per usual. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by a fraudulent dessert. Friends, Romans, fellow dessert men, lend me your tongues. I need to warn you of the biggest scam going around, Turkish delight. When I say Turkish delight, what comes to mind? Easily its biggest fanfare is in the Narnia movie, the one with the lion, the witch, and the magic cloak closet. Side note, but what the fuck was that movie? It's supposed to have religious ties? Why? Because Mufasa got chalk outlined by girl Saruman the White? I digress. In the movie, Edmund, the little snitch, sells out his entire life, his entire family, the entire universe, just for a taste of this Turkish delight. He opens up the canister, and it looks like the most delicious thing you could ever eat. It's doughy. It's got jelly. It's got powdered sugar. It's the whole package. My brother devours that stuff like a man who hasn't eaten in years during a war-induced famine. So myself, who likes a good sweet from time to time, decides to buy my real-life sister some Turkish delight for her birthday. It comes in a box, like a little Debbie snack, but I figure it is like powdered donuts vibes. She opens it up, she's really excited, and lets me have the first bite. It looks a bit plasticky at first, bit of a red flag. I bite into it. When I tell you it tasted like Play-Doh that had been dropped in a bucket and let out to rot for years, this is one of the worst tasting, worst textured things I've ever had in my entire life. Like eating mashed potatoes and washing it down with a stiff glass of milk. The cast of Narnia should be ashamed of itself for misleading the general public. Joe Biden, if you're listening, where's the forgiveness for people who eat who are eating Turkish delight? Thanks again to all our other desserts for making up for this abomination of calories. Screw you, Turkish Delight, and let's get back to the pod. And we're back. So we're going to be going into our waiver warriors. We're going to go one guy per position. We might throw in a couple honorable mentions as well. But the idea is these are the guys that you should target. And then we'll go at the very end, like the number one guy that we think that you should put number one on your priority list at the very end of it. So who is your quarterback that you went with, Jimmy D? Yeah, so I was I was kind of struggling because it's like okay maybe Cooper Rush just because he's jumping into you know full workload that obviously no one would have drafted him Jimmy G if you're trying to think like oh maybe someone trades for me get excited but to me Mitch Trubisky didn't have the best game but wasn't turning the ball over and threw the ball 38 times so you know your concerns with Trubisky in this offseason were he might only throw the ball 20 times a game clearly the Steelers trust him uh, I think you're going to see him gain you know build more rapport with these receivers. And he could really, you know, be a, a serviceable uh, QB2 in your kind of your two quarterback type leagues. And, and he probably hasn't been drafted all that much. Let me pull him up real quick. 
uh, as far as like ownership. So uh, that that's not helpful. Sleeper's not giving me an, an accurate uh, <laughs> ranking here, but I, I don't think he's going to be owned too often. Um, so you know he's he's someone I'd say worth worth grabbing at the quarterback position. Who, who is your guy? Yeah, I went Jameis Winston. I, I definitely stole our guy. I definitely in a few leagues went full Konsky, aka drafting Winston super late, and it totally paid off. He finished as a QB six this week. He struggled mightily in the early part of the game. I, I tweeted pretty early in the game that Mariota and Winston were having a mid off because they both look so freaking mid. But James Winston really turned it on late. He had some really great passes, and he really progressed quarter by quarter, which was really cool to see, um, just him getting more familiar with the offense. And I think it has staying power. Like I feel like James Winston could finish the season as a top-12 quarterback, and they definitely like to sling it in New Orleans. So I think they yeah, You, you have to be happy if you're a, uh, a Michael Thomas owner because James definitely had some, some really good uh, rapport with Michael Thomas. And I think he could have been one of our wide receiver winners. I mean, not playing two years and then getting two touchdowns you know, in, a, in a crucial situations. So I love the receivers that Winston has. And to, and to your point, if he's not on a roster in your league, he's worth grabbing. Yeah, 100%. Let's move on to running backs. Who did you go with this week? So the, the guy I saw a lot of was uh, Eno Benjamin. He was getting some some touches with the, the Chiefs-Cardinals blowout that was happening. Um, he's clearly the, the second running back on their roster. But, you know, James Conner has had injury issues in his past and is one of those guys that is super touchdown dependent. Um, you know, he's going to get a lot – He's going to get a lot of use. So, like, if, if he does get banged up, which just does happen to running backs, you know, Benjamin's the one to benefit. And the dude runs incredibly aggressive. It was, you know, it was exciting to watch him run the ball. Like, you know, they're down by 30 points, and he's still trying to run dudes over. Um, so he's a guy I don't think he's going to be owned heavily. Definitely wasn't, you know, on, on people's draft radar all that much. Uh, but, you know, put up a an, an unassuming kind of 10-point performance. And I think – you know, has a position to, you know, what, what you, what you need out of these white waiver pickups is someone that could fall into an RB one workload. And it's definitely, you know, Benjamin kind of hits that part for me. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's someone that you can definitely get like lower down on the waiver wire. Cause I don't think a lot of people are aware of and not have to like waste your fab budget on it. If that's what your league has. Exactly. You don't have to put a high priority on him by any means. A guy that I really liked was Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, my boy, I've been calling him all off season long. Uh, this has a little bit of a caveat to it because the Eagles had a lot of plays this past week in a very high-scoring game against the Lions. They were also running it on first down, second down, third down, and fourth down. They actually had four different running backs get a touchdown this past week, and I'm not including Jalen Hurts there. Very, very strange week in terms of that, but he was one of those guys that got a touchdown. He had a good amount of yards, a good amount of carries. I feel like going forward, even Miles Sanders got a touchdown. Like, what are we doing here? He hasn't had a touchdown in like two years. So I think going forward, Kenneth Gainwell is just going to continue to prove himself as a more talented back. I like him a lot as a play now and a stash going forward. Some other guys that I really like as well, Jeff Wilson Jr. He's probably going to be the most likely beneficiary of that really conjumbled conjumbled's even a word san francisco 49ers uh running back situation uh Kenyon drake actually ended up being the number one guy in baltimore this past week and then jamal williams keeps poaching freaking touchdowns from my boy deandre swift deandre swift for those keeping track at home is number two in the league and uh rushing yards he had like 164 if i remember correctly he's number one in the league in yards per carry at 9.6 
And freaking Jamal Williams has two touchdowns. He just poaches all those goal line rushes because Swift runs it all the way down to the one yard line and then he gets tired and then they put in Jamal Williams and it makes no freaking sense and he gets to punch it home. So Jamal Williams definitely has the trust of the coaching staff. That's been proven before. It's been proven during hard knocks. It's still true now. I think he's someone, if you're just desperate at a flex play or something like that, he's a really, really good value. Yep. Who do you like at wide receiver this week? Yeah, the, the guy that uh, kind of stood out to me was Robbie Anderson. Um, you know, the, the long touchdowns, one thing, but just the fact that he had eight targets, uh, I think bodes well as just kind of wide receiver one workload, not necessarily production. Um, so he, he might not be fully rostered because people got burned by him last year and he was kind of one of the, the later potential flyer picks. So if he's not on your roster, he might be worth grabbing even even if he hurt you last year because you might have taken him like in the fourth or fifth round. Like he was kind of the, the media darling last year, but... I'd go with Robbie Anderson. I like that one a lot. He definitely seems like just one of Baker's guys, you know, like he just kind of got that like little, dog. which is hilarious. Right. Yeah. I mean, after all the, the drama off season of him just kind of making fun of Baker and they get in there and it's like, Oh, actually Baker's good for me. Exactly. So I like that one a lot. The one that I went with that I'm really excited about is Curtis Samuel. He was out all of last year for the most part, just had a really, really injured season. And he's with this Washington Commanders offense that is really clicking right now. Um, he's getting involved in not only the passing game, but also the rushing game, which I think is really great for his potential floor. He also scored a touchdown this past week. I really, really like Curtis Samuel. He's kind of like a Debo kind of guy. He seems like a bit of a gadget player this year. Um, I think he's definitely worth the pickup now that he's healthy. And he might be my number one waiver. I actually, I'm just going to say now, he's my number one waiver wire target this entire week. Um, he's not owned in too many leagues yet, so he's definitely available. Um, but he's someone that you can start with confidence, I feel like, in a flex spot. Who do you like at tight end this week? So then for tight end, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we mentioned him earlier, uh, OJ Howard. I, I like just the, the red zone work he's going to potentially continue to get. Uh, if you're you're in that tight end um you know, hellhole of uh, just like you don't, you know, you drafted Komet or something started and you're like, geez, I don't know how this is going to work out. Uh, he might be worth grabbing, especially if you have someone that, you know, it's, it's very obvious to drop. Could be worth it, uh, in, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. OJ Howard, shout out him. You know, he's got all the talent in the world. He's finally putting it together. I went with my boy, Gerald Everett. I've been hyping him up this past offseason. He definitely performed this past week. He had three catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. That's all you can really ask out of your tight end if you didn't go like with the Travis Kelsey or something really early on in your draft. Uh, he's definitely a high priority for me on a lot of waiver wires where I had a Cole Komet or Dawson Knox or something like that. I think Everett's a much better play going forward for the Chargers. So who's your number one waiver wire pick? I got Curtis Samuel. Who are you prioritizing? I, I like the Kenneth Gainwell one, honestly. Maybe Kenneth Gainwell or, or Jeff Wilson. Um, the the Eagles' backfield is going to be kind of like the good version of of years past Patriots' backfields, where you're not really sure who's getting the touches. You just know that there's going to be you know good production going all around. Uh, but he did seem to be the guy that maybe they trusted the most. Like it was you know like, to your point, great for Miles Sanders to see him getting an actual touchdown, which he never seems to do, and, and got a lot of tart or carries, but. Uh, you know, I, I think you can't discount Gainwell getting the, the usage he did, and he's just someone that isn't as well known. So if he if he's not rostered, he's worth grabbing. For sure, for sure. Thanks for 
pat me on the back on that one. I like that. I know. I'll pat you on the back. <laughs> so one thing with the waiver wire is you don't just get to pick people up. You have to have someone to drop on the other end of the transaction. So we have this segment we call cut her off. We're going to cut some players off. We have three guys that we think are candidates that you are okay to drop going forward. These are guys that are like actually on rosters. We're not just throwing guys that would never be on rosters. Um, so the first one is Mike Davis, uh, for the exact reason I mentioned earlier. Kenyon Drake seems to be the number one guy with J.K. Dobbins out. If Mike Davis isn't even the number two, there's no value there. Kenyon Drake had 11 carries, and it looks like J.K. Dobbins will be back within the next week or two. So I just don't think Mike Davis has any value. I think his roster percentage got to roughly about 40%. Um, he had like all one carry this past week. So you can definitely cut him off with confidence. Yep. No, Mike Davis is a great pick. I, I went with Raheem Mostert. So this one's a less um, surefire than Mike Davis, but it, it to me, it seemed like this was Chase Edmonds backfield in, in Miami. It might change, but uh, Chase Edmonds had more carries, more targets, more snap share. I don't, I just, I wouldn't feel confident in the usage Raheem was getting. It could have been the game script or I guess just kind of that, the matchup that happened there, but uh, you know, just, an, an older running back and someone who's maybe not on or just not quite, you know, doing it for the the Dolphins. I I would I would be willing to cut him. I don't think you. It's like you have to cut him. It's just I'd, I'd be willing to do so. Yeah, I fully agree. It felt like a lot of the intrigue with him was the fact that they have a new coach, Mike McDaniel, coming from San Francisco. That offense could support multiple running backs for fantasy, but it just doesn't really look like the Dolphins are explosive enough to make that happen. And not to mention Jalen Waddle, he'll get a few rushes. Eric Hill, he'll get a few rushes. There's just a lot of mouths to feed, and I just don't think that's going to work out for Mustard either. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. is our last one. Um, he's rostered in a good amount of leagues. He is the definition of a safe floor, but he's just like no, never going to be someone that you actually start. These are the kind of guys that are like extremely frustrating because like you can definitely start them in a flex spot in a pinch, but they're never going to get you that high enough ceiling where they're actually going to win you a matchup. And Marvin Jones is just like the bottom tier of those safe kind of guys. So I think he's someone that you can drop with confidence. Um, he definitely has a little bit of rapport going on with uh, with Lawrence down in Jacksonville. But he just like doesn't have that exciting upside that I think he's worth uh, continuing to be on roster. He had like 30 yards this past week. So I think you can cut Marvin Jones with scissors real quick though, with no worries. <laughs> All righty, college football corner. You ready? I'm ready. Did you catch any games this past week? Uh, I, I caught actually the Baylor BYU game. I saw the the tail end of that, so that got pretty exciting. Um, I think in general, right? You just gotta say it was a it was a rough week for top ten people. Um, I guess top ten teams. You know, Notre Dame looked awful. Texas A and M looked awful. Um, Wisconsin losing. Like it's just not. It was not great for uh, for the mighty, if you will. So. Yeah. Exciting if you love the Cinderella story. Uh, not exciting if your alma mater was a, a top 10 uh, college football team. Yeah, a lot of the top 25 teams lost this past week. Uh, Pittsburgh definitely struggled against Tennessee. Baylor went way past people's bedtimes. I don't know if people got to church the next day between the Mormons and the, the, the Christians, so I don't know. BYU made it, to, made it to church. I don't know about Baylor people, but the BYU people made it. <laughs> uh, and then Florida also lost to Kentucky, and that was a big hangover after their huge win against Utah. Anthony Richardson is last in the entire NCAA in uh, completion percentage now, which is crazy after the amazing week that he had last week. So definitely a huge hangover. I know Florida fans were getting really cocky after that one. 
Um, the best game I saw all weekend was Bama Texas easily. I was I, I did catch about half of that game uh, when we were at a at a like dockside bar. Yeah, it was um, so uncharacteristic. That was a good game. Yeah, so uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban team for Bama to have so many penalties. They were really shooting themselves in the foot. And I, yeah, people in Texas are going to be talking about this game forever. If Quinn Ewers stays healthy, the quarterback for Texas, they definitely win that game. The dude was dealing. You could see in his eye, like he was ready to take down Goliath. And it just, they fell up one point short. It was really weird though, because in the rankings afterwards, Texas lost the game, but went up in the rankings. So good for them. And Bama fell. Uh, We have a new number one in Georgia. Um, But what everybody came to this podcast to listen to, my boy Scott Frost finally got fired. It was it was merciful. It happened in the middle of an NFL Sunday. We love the random news dump. Uh, Scott Frost had a fifteen million dollar buyout, which dropped to seven point five million if they waited till October first. They're like, we've seen enough. Get out of town. We don't want you here anymore. You were the golden boy, but you have officially fallen off, Pony Boy. Yeah, that, I think the biggest takeaway, right, is they didn't wait till October first. They're like, this is a, I, I, we can't do it. We will pay seven and a half million extra dollars to just get this guy out of here. Yeah. So honestly, you have to wonder if Scott Scott Frost knew that was coming just through the game. Is like, I just want to get this buy out. Yeah, I, I I feel bad for him just because like everything should have worked out, right? He came into a situation where he's going to his alma mater. He is 100% the home run higher, and it just didn't happen. He got the decent recruiting classes. He's, he had guys transfer out. He had some decent guys transfer in. Just some inexplicable things just going down with the the math of things, right? Like he lost all these games that they were losing by one possession that they should have been winning. They had crazy missed tackles in open field. They had some really strange turnovers and penalties. Is everything just on the margin? And I don't really like the more uh, – militarized kind of coaches like you have like the Nick Sabans the Bill Belichick's like those guys are like really really regimented where you have guys like basically crashing their cars to avoid going to practice because they're all two minutes late like I don't usually like those guys but like that's who Nebraska needs at this point and it really sucks because like that's literally the only way that you can cure something like this so I really hope the next hire is a home run uh there's been talks of Matt Campbell the Iowa State coach uh, there's been a lot of talks of other guys at bigger schools, or I say bigger schools. They're not bigger schools. There's arguably better jobs because the teams are a lot better. We have Mark Stoops of Kentucky, Dave Arnada of Baylor getting rumored, Jeff Whipple, the Tennessee coach. I'm just like, the, all these guys are in much better situations. And it's crazy that we are in 2022 and we're not sure if Nebraska is a better job. Uh, my grandpa died earlier this year and like he had crazy amounts of optimism every single year for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And I'm like, Grandpa, what are you talking about? We, we call him Papa. Papa, what are you talking about? Like, I've seen nothing but death, nothing but black for the Nebraska Cornhuskers for my 23 years of existence. And I looked it up one day from like 1960 to 2005. Nebraska didn't have like a worse season than like nine and three. That's the best season I've ever seen in my lifetime that I can actually remember. They went to the title game in 2001, but I don't remember that one at all. So hopefully this next hire fixes things. Rant over, but I, I have I have no hope. I have no faith. I don't think I can predict this one either. Don't ask me how I feel about the next hire because my opinion doesn't matter because I thought this last one was going to fix things. So. 
Well, hey, love to hear you. Uh, love that optimism. That's that's college football in a nutshell right there. We're coping over here. We are 100% coping. Yeah. So, hey, Illinois got the dub. So at least uh, <laughs> one of us was happy this weekend. Dude, should I just be an Illinois fan? Like, they're, th- they're talking about Brett Bielba coming over to Nebraska. So we could still your coach. Nah, he's staying. He loves he loves champagne. He'll never leave us. He's slopping. He loves the, he loves the mud. Okay, let's go to overreaction season. Uh, week one is over in the NFL is the perfect time to get on our Stephen A. high horse. I don't know. Did you see the thing where Stephen A. predicted the Chargers to lose, but also have the most points in the AFC West this past weekend? No, I did not. I'm sure it was filled with intelligence. It was absolutely incredible. They asked him, who's going to score the most points in the AFC West? And he's like, Chargers. And then they asked him, who do you think is going to win, Raiders or Chargers? And he's like, Raiders. I was like, dude, you can't have both. This is just not how this works. So just covering all of his bases. That's what we're going to be doing here is just saying the most outlandish stuff and seeing what sticks. So we have a team take for y'all. We have a player take for y'all and a coach take for you all. So Jimmy D, give us your team take to start us off. Yeah. So after this weekend, I will go uh, full Stephen A and say Vikings are going to win the NFC North. Uh, it's everyone kind of considered it the Packers division to lose, but Getting that early win over the Packers gives them a better chance of, of winning any tiebreakers. And then just in general, man, the Vikings looked good. Their defense was obviously doing well. Their offense, you got Justin Jefferson. like You, you can score at a moment's notice when you got Jay Jeff on the field. Uh, Dalvin Cook was having a heck of a game. I mean, they're, if you're a fantasy center of Dalvin Cook, you got to be excited. Not the performance you wanted, but 20 carries plus some uh, some receptions. Like feels great if, if that's the workload your you guy's getting. So. Yeah, the team looks great, better than expected. I think they really needed that coaching switch, right? Like they were just burnt out on Zimmer. Uh, so, you know, kudos to the, the organization getting a, a real slam dunk higher, and, and, and they're going to kind of take that momentum and carry it through to a, potentially a NFC North victory. Could almost be like a Matt Nagy's first year, where just out of nowhere, you know, a new coach really revitalizes a franchise and he gets the you know, coach of the year type thing. So, uh, you know, why not the Vikings? Yeah, I think you're 100% right. This is a slam dunk hire. They were in a defensive-minded coach that just didn't know how to actually call defense. And now they have an offensive-minded coach that can really unlock a lot of these players on offense. The coaching was incredible. They looked like one of the most balanced teams. And I was so pissed because I was going against this one team and this one league that I have where it's half point per carry, not point per reception. And Dalvin Cook was on my opponent's team. And so he just kept getting carried and keep getting fed. I'm like, come on, just turn the game off. Like, end the game now. I can't have Dalvin Cook racking up all these points against me. (laughs) Um, My first take for the team is that the Browns are officially scary. I was a big detractor of the Browns this past offseason, but they looked incredibly good this past week. Kareem Hunt finished fourth on the week with like 140-some yards uh, and rushing yards this past week. Kareem Hunt had two touchdowns. Mari Cooper, even though he had a bad statistical week, had a really, really strong game on film. He looked really explosive still. Definitely didn't look like a guy who just got traded for a six-round pick. And if their quarterbacks can get comfortable, I don't really care who it is, Brissett, Watson down the road. I think the Browns are actually set up to be a scary team in the AFC North. So Yeah, and if you have Chubb or Kareem Hunt, you're feeling pretty good. I mean, Chubb got fed, Kareem Hunt got fed, like – it's, it's like the Browns are who we thought they were of like, hey, we got a defense. We've got two great running backs. The quarterback situation, we're not going to talk about it. So hopefully you forget about it. And then we're just going to keep feeding the rocks these running backs. Yeah, the offensive line is like the 
best in the NFL. So anytime you have that, yeah. you got and and they looked it too. Yeah, 100%. Hey, what's your player take? Yeah, I'm got I'm gonna ride the AJ Dillon high. Uh, I love seeing his usage, and, and again, when, when the Packers are kind of get it all clicked together and they're ahead in games, he's just gonna get more carries. Uh, so I said AJ Dillon's gonna finish the season as a top five fantasy running back. Uh, getting 20 points in a game where you're running back that's considered the rush, like the the runner of the the twin headed duo, in a game where you were down the whole time, feels pretty good. Uh, getting all the goal line carries feels pretty good as a fantasy owner. So I'm gonna keep tooting the AJ Dillon horn until I have to stop. Yeah, absolutely. No notes. Keep tooting. We love it. My guy is the equivalent of when you have the TV remote in your right hand and you start walking around being like, where's the TV remote? I feel like that guy it was Cordero Patterson in all of our fantasy drafts this past year. Cordero Patterson dropped to right around 80 or 90 in a lot of fantasy drafts this past year. And he was running like a man possessed this past week. He looked incredibly good for the Atlanta Falcons. He, a lot of people were expecting a drop off just because he's a smaller guy. He was a wide receiver converted to running back. He looks big. He looks explosive. He looks like Steven Jackson. Like, I feel like he's going to have a very, very good season going forward. And we all just had hive minds. Like he, he just completely slipped our minds going into this off season. And he really truly looks like he's going to be an incredible pickup for anybody that got him. Yeah. This one's tough for, for me because I was definitely a stance of the, the old man Patterson don't draft him. And to your point, he's clearly the, the lead running back in that, that offense. They definitely are still wanting to give him the ball. Uh, to the detriment of Kyle Pitts potentially, but uh, yeah, the, Patterson looks good. Yeah, we're- uh, he's he's one of those guys that's again like you might be able to get a trade from because someone still might be like, oh, he's old. Don't worry about it. like if you could kind of sneak a, a, a you know a decent trade for him, I'd I'd give it a try. Yeah, we had Leo DiCaprio season. You know, we were all looking at the sexy young model who was under twenty five years old. We all wanted Algier, but we all should have gone for the old workhorse and Cordell. Yeah, Algier didn't even wasn't even the lineup exactly. So give us your coach take. Yeah, and I'm going to preface this. I, this is not me. I believe in Bill Belichick, but I have a feeling Belichick's going to be in at least the media hot seat after this season. I love this one. Uh, and the reason being, man, the, the offense was just so abysmal on, on Sunday that like people are going to be questioning the uh, the dual, you know, Joe Judge, um, Matt Patricia brain trust at offensive coordinator instead of like actually just hiring a competent offensive coordinator. And he's going to catch some flack for it if if our offense doesn't really take some strides in, in the coming you know weeks and months. I think it's going to be rough uh, if if anyone that lives in Boston has to listen to sports media because people are going to be hammering. There, you're, you're starting to kind of see in the the forum posts and everything people going, "Oh, this is proof that it was all Tom Brady and never Belichick anyway." So like he's starting to kind of catch some flack. Uh, and I think even more so, it's it's GM Bill Belichick's going to catch some flag because we've had some pretty abysmal drafts the last four or five years, and we don't have Tom Brady to cover up for it. Uh, I, I'm going to still I would preface I believe in and Belichick. I you know I think he knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust him over anything I, th- I that I would know about football. But uh, if if this season's rough, it, you know Mac Jones kind of doesn't to your point doesn't kind of elevate in that sophomore year, but actually takes a step back. People are not going to be happy. He's going to have to you know give some one word answers to some pretty tough uh, media questions. Yeah. I think it's that last piece that you had on. That's really important is like, it's really hard for a singular guy to be the coach and the GM. It's just too much work to do. And so I think a separation of duties could really happen really soon. 
Uh, but I could definitely see some people in the media just having inexplicably bad takes about this Bill Belichick team. And I could see a big of a hot seat relatively soon. Just if the things are going really poorly, the wheels fall off, we see it like an 0-8 start or something like that. Like stranger things have definitely happened. So it was not a good week one. We'll see how week two goes down. Maybe we'll see some zap season and we'll turn things around because it seems like the backup quarterback is always super good when it comes to New England. So maybe he's Jimmy G 2.0. We'll see. Uh, my final take of the night for my coach take, I had Mike McDaniel being coach of the year. I, I'm a big believer that a coach's main job is really just to hype people up and be a decent person. And Mike McDaniel seems to be doing both. He's leading by example. He seems amped. He's in the locker room really just being a dude. And he's just a, he's just a fun guy. He, he's, he's really, uh, he's really um, inquisitive and really well-spoken whenever he's answering questions at press conferences. And he really seems to have this team on the right direction. Tua didn't look, didn't look amazing. Like, if you watch some of the highlights, he definitely had some missed throws. But I think he has a, a great enough scheme that Tua can really, really excel in it throughout the year. And I think the Dolphins' schedule is going to be easy enough to where they could actually make some noise in the AFC East this year. I had the Dolphins winning the AFC East this year. I definitely could see it happening. And uh, yeah, Mike McDaniel, coach of the year train. Let's get it started. Yeah, I think a couple of points are right. His scheme is great. It gets Tyreek in space. It gets Jalen Waddle in space. It makes the reads for Tua pretty easy. And then Tua is a very accurate thrower, so he's able to deliver the ball. He didn't look great yesterday, but the the scheme, you could you could tell it was the right kind of um, base to, to build from. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any interviews with Mike McDaniel, but he's definitely just a bro. So, you know, I think more and more in, in the younger NFL, right? Like you, you have to be able to connect with 23 year olds, right? Like it's, it's easy for me to forget that I'm older than probably most people in the NFL. So it's like, I, I don't even know if I could connect with guys that are just freshmen out of college or I guess juniors out of college, et cetera. Yeah. But he seems to really be able to do that. And he just seems to be a good hang. And I think that's so important as the, the head coach, because you're, you're trying to set that culture and, and you want to really build kind of that family mentality. And he seems kind of like the guy that can do it. Yeah, I love it. So that'll be it for us this week. We're going to go watch the Seahawks Broncos game. So a Broncos tight end is currently leading all players and receiving I, yards. I saw that. I, I saw some Alberto, uh, some Alberto receptions. I, I knew you were going to be excited about Dude, it. Dude, it's not Alberto. It's Andrew Beck. Is it really? Yeah. Who? So I'll okay, just... sorry, I saw I saw Albert O get a couple of touches. My bad. I, I I beat you to the punchline and you had a way better punchline. Exactly. So clearly we know nothing. Take all of our advice. Take no of our advice. It really doesn't matter. But go have some fun, fantasy football this week. This was a really great week one. I'm really excited to see what week two has in store. So, uh, Jimmy D, have a great week this week, and we'll see you. Yeah, bye, everybody.